This is The Will Ford Show. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. It is officially 2018. It is January 3rd. 2017 has come and gone. It is a new year and a new year for some great sports. It's play. It's time for the playoffs in the NFL. The NFL or the NBA is getting into full swing. We had a great Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl the other day in the college football playoff. It is an exciting time to be a sports fan right now. We got a great show for you guys today. We're going to start with the college football playoff. Georgia beat Oklahoma 54 to 48 in double overtime in the Rose Bowl. This was a, an amazing game, an absolutely incredible game. It went back and forth. Oklahoma really dominated the whole first half. And then the second half, Oklahoma kind of just fell apart. And Oklahoma played tremendous. It was a great game, a, a thriller. Uh, but my takeaway from this game is that Oklahoma gave this game away in the second half. They had extremely conservative play calling when they were up seven late in the fourth quarter with about five minutes left. And their run defense was absolutely atrocious. Their, their running backs, Georgia's running backs, rushed for over 350 yards and had six total touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Baker Mayfield played pretty good in this game, but... Coaching, I think, is what lost Oklahoma this game. And that's not to take anything away from Georgia. Georgia played outstanding defense in the second half. Their linebacker, Roquan Smith, was excellent. I think he is the clear-cut best linebacker in next year's draft. Their running game is excellent. Like I said, they had over 300 rushing yards and six touchdowns. And true freshman quarterback Jake Fromm was great also. Uh, he was making excellent reads all game. There was one play in particular where it was a third and six. And Georgia was down. And he made an audible at the line of scrimmage because he noticed that Oklahoma's defensive line was shifted to the left. So he audible to a run play to the right. And it was w wide open. And it was a 30, 40-yard touchdown run. And he made incredible reads the whole game, and he was clutch late. Uh, this was a great game. Over to the Sugar Bowl now. Alabama coasted to a Sugar Bowl victory over Clemson 24-6. Alabama proved to me that they are indeed the best team in college football. Their, their defense is... Incredible. That's an NFL quality defense, especially in the front seven. They held Clemson, a team who during the season averaged 35 points a game. I believe they were the highest scoring team in the country. Held them to six points. Clemson only had three plays over 15 yards. Their defense is the best in college football, Alabama's is. However, as a team, like I don't think they're as unstoppable as people think they are. Defensively, you're not going to be able to move the ball on them that well. But their offense isn't, it isn't really all that great. Their defense in that game set up a lot of their scoring opportunities. And they even had seven points of their own on a pick six. Their offense is, is very suspect. But their defense is great. Alabama proved they should have been the number four team over Ohio State. And I know I said all that stuff about the strength of schedule and, and made the case for Ohio State with Iowa's strength of schedule and, and things like that, but Alabama was clearly the better team. And once again, before people start with this, oh, the playoff needs to be expanded, the playoff needs to be expanded, we need to make this more fair for other teams. No. Like I said before, it's only going to create more arguments. The best four teams made it into the playoff. 
the best four teams made it in. You don't lose by 31 points to Iowa and get in. I mean, you just don't. Expanding the playoff would make non-conference games that you play during the season completely meaningless. If you expand it, you basically guarantee that the conference champions and the Power 5 conferences will get an automatic bid, which means it doesn't matter what they do in their non-conference games. Granting teams with conference championships automatic bids to the playoff would, would just be bad for college football. I think that's what makes the playoff so interesting is that you can you can win your conference championship and still not get into the playoff like Ohio State did, like Penn State last year. Alabama didn't win theirs this year, and they, they still got in. They got to keep the format the way it is because once you expand it, like right now, five, six, and seven are arguing to get in at number four. And if you expand it to eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12 will be arguing to get in. So it just makes no sense to, to expand it. Even though I'm all for it because I love arguments and stuff, it would just, it just creates more arguments. But anyways, the best four teams are in the playoff. We have a great national championship set up with Alabama and Georgia. And this is going to be played in Georgia in uh, the Atlanta Falcons' new stadium. So Georgia is basically going to be playing in their own backyard. Georgia has been the most consistent team in college football this year. But they're going, to, they're going up against the best team in college football. The keys of the game for me will be obviously Alabama's defense and how great it is. Georgia has a pretty good defense. We're going to see how Georgia's running game will fare with Alabama's defense. And we're going to get to see what Jake Fromm is really about. Because Jake Fromm looked really good against Oklahoma, but Oklahoma doesn't play a lick of defense whatsoever. We're really going to see how he's going to be able to handle Bama's defense and see what reads he can make, if he can throw down the field, and if he can get those running backs involved. I really want to see Georgia win this, this championship, but I don't think they can beat Alabama. I, I, Georgia, I think, will lose by a touchdown or 10 points or so. I like Bama to win this game 31-24. I just don't see... Georgia beating Alabama. And a big topic that came up, we're going to shift gears a little bit, staying in, the, in college football, though. Uh, the Rose Bowl went to, to overtime, and it kind of brought up the question, are the overtime rules in college football good or bad? And personally, I love the college football overtime format. I mean, it highlights the best part of football. Red zone football is the best part of the game without question. It's flat out the most entertaining thing during a game. Fans love red zone football. It's just, it's just the most exciting. I love the format because it puts pressure on the quarterbacks to perform in the red zone with a shortened field. It puts pressure on the coaches to make tremendous play calls, which Oklahoma didn't do against Georgia. But that's besides the point. It puts pressure on special teams, on kickers, because if they have to kick a field goal, they're going to be relied on since they're going to be in the red zone. And it puts a, a, a ton of pressure on the defense. It's like the, the, All the pressure goes to the defense, mostly because they've got to make stops in the red zone. It's the most important part of defense is red zone. Teams don't need to play a whole extra quarter to decide a winner. Like, in the Georgia-Oklahoma game, in the Rose Bowl, there wasn't a clear better team in that game. Yes, Oklahoma probably should have won it because of their play calling, but there was really no clear winner because the teams were very evenly matched. 
playing a short field quick overtime period like that decides it quickly and the teams decide the game with their red zone play and their situational offense and defense. I I personally hate the way the format of overtime is in the NFL because like in college you get each team is guaranteed a possession no matter what regardless is regardless if the first team scores a touchdown or not. But in the NFL if the team that gets the ball first scores a touchdown, the game's automatically over. I don't like that. I, I think you got to give teams another possession, and you put the ball on the 25-yard line or the 30 or 35-yard line. If you want to back it up a little bit, fine. Put it on like the 35-yard line and let a team go to work from there. That is what I think would be, be, would be best for football because fans don't want to watch another quarter of football. It's way more entertaining to put it in the red zone. The NFL should really consider adopting this kind of format. I think it would be the most entertaining, and I think it would be very popular with the fans of the NFL. I love this format. All right, we're going to move on. This is an interesting story that I just find absolutely crazy. Uh, we're staying in college football. Purdue quarterback Elijah Sinlar, he played over a month with a torn ACL. He played in his bowl game in the Foster Farms Bowl. They played against Arizona, and he threw for almost 400 yards, 396 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception, and Purdue won 38-35. Again, that was the Foster Farms Bowl. This is this is just unbelievable to me. The pain that he must have dealt with had to have been excruciating in that knee. I don't know which knee it was, but I don't think it matters which knee it is. That's got to be excruciating. And I did some research on this, and when, when Elijah tore his ACL, he actually begged his coach and the training staff to play. And the coach was very hesitant, but he said that if he if Elijah feels like he can go, then he should at least give him the opportunity to try. I, I think I think it's incredible. Like the throws he was making weren't little dink and dunk throws and stuff where he doesn't have to put a lot of force behind the ball and dig into the ground to throw. Like he was throwing like deep shots down the field, and he was planting with with his knee and. And throwing down the field. It was just absolutely incredible. And he played through this kind of injury. And a horrible injury that that ends seasons and puts players out for like eight months, nine months. And players are never usually the same once they come back. But he played through it at a high level for over a month. That's crazy to me. That's one of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard. Like, I watched highlights of that game. He was making great throws. I mean, gosh, it's just this is just an incredible story. All right, we're going to segue. We're going to move over to the NBA. We got a very, very short NBA segment today. We're not we don't have much on the NBA this week. But I was thinking about this the other day. And the NBA every year gives an award recognizing the most valuable player, the MVP award. Recognizes the most valuable player for that season. But I don't think that's exactly how the MVP works. Like, clearly, the most valuable player in the NBA is the LeBron James. He is the most impactful player on the court every time he steps on the floor, and he is the most complete player the league has ever seen when it comes to his scoring, his shooting, his, his shooting has really improved, his rebounding, his, his passing is unmatched. He's basically the best point guard in the NBA with his passing. And he plays solid defense. And he's still got some athleticism left. 
I mean, statistically, he's better now in his 15th year than he has ever been before. Even during his days in Miami when those were his prime years. I mean, it's just incredible how consistently good he is and how he continues to get better. I mean, his shooting numbers, they're higher. They're career highs this season. Three-point shooting, free-throw shooting, field goal percentage. He is extremely efficient. And with that, with that being said, he should be the MVP every year. But that's not how it works. The, the NBA gives the award to the player who had the best season that year. Case in point, Russell Westbrook. He had 41 triple-doubles. And don't get me wrong, that's amazing. That's a tremendous year. But that proves my point. They didn't win a whole lot of games. They made the playoffs, but they didn't win a whole lot of games. Yes, he had 41 triple-doubles. That's great. Don't get me wrong. But he's not LeBron James. He doesn't have the impact of guys like LeBron James or James Harden or Steph Curry. The MVP is kind of a... It's kind of misleading. Because they don't give it to who's the most valuable. They give, they give it to... Who had the best season. It's kind of similar to how the NFL works too. It's, it's basically a quarterback award. Because the quarterback is the most valuable position. But they don't take into account other players with value. Other positions with value. They just take in, into account the quarterback position. Alright, I want to shift gears. We're going to talk about uh, NFL replay and how, how currently the landscape of the NFL has kind of been negatively affected by NFL replay. Uh, the NFL's current practice of putting every close play or every close questionable call and like and reviewing it in super slow motion and micromanaging plays is really bad for the game. It's bad for the NFL. And it slows the game down like a lot. And it makes the fan experience worse and almost unenjoyable. The NFL needs to tone it down just, just a little bit. The purpose of NFL replay when it was first introduced in the early 2000s was... Like, it was created to prevent bad calls from deciding the game. Not to achieve per, uh, perfection down to every inch and millisecond, millisecond and camera angle that's possible. And I think that this is what I think officials and the officiating crews should do from now on. I think officials should get 60 seconds to look at a play. And review it. And if there's definitive, if there's definitive evidence to whether a play should stand or be reversed, then the review should take no longer than 30 seconds, honestly. And if it takes longer than 60, then that means it's there's not clear and definitive evidence to keep a call or reverse it. If they can't get it done in 60 seconds. It's not clear and definitive, and the play has the stand. I think in this case, the simpler the better. I, I think people in this day and age, in everything, try to make things more complicated than, the, than it actually is. There's an old saying, work harder, or work smarter, not harder. I think the NFL is working too hard to get every play perfect instead of just making it simple and just looking and if you can't tell right away if you can't tell in under a minute it stands if you can get it done in 30 seconds great and I don't put all the blame on the officials in this situation it's not, on, it's not all on them I put it I put this on the guys, like the head officials in New York, that they 
defer to during games. They make the majority of the decisions on big calls, like catches, fumbles, going to the ground, did he did he make the catch, stuff like that. I'm sorry, but I don't like guys in suits sitting in a studio making those kind of big calls. They're not on the field, and they don't see everything that happens like officials do. Like, I get that an official, like, if an official is blocked by a cornerback on the play and they can't see if they made the catch, yeah, go review it. But you can't review every single catch, and I think that's what the people in New York are trying to do. You can't review everything. These guys in the studio don't see everything that officials see on the field. They're not on the field. The NFL needs to give more of the decision-making responsibilities back to the coach. I'm sorry, not to the coaches, to the officials. And only defer to the heads in New York if they need a second opinion. Like within that minute, if you think, eh, I'm not sure, what do you think, so-and-so in New York, and they think this, then go with it. But they don't need to be making every ticky-tack call. Alright, we're going to move on. And it was discussed about a week or so ago within the New York Giants organization uh whether, uh, whether or not the potential of Eli Manning returning to the Giants is high or not. Dave Gettleman was hired as the new GM for the New York Giants after Jerry Reese was fired earlier in the year, along with Ben McAdoo, their head coach. And Gettleman said that he's confident Eli will remain with the team and that they're, he's going to be their quarterback as of right now. And obviously this makes sense. Since they don't really have a replacement right now. They have Geno Smith and Davis Webb. And neither of those guys are very viable options. And by the way, Davis Webb, their rookie quarterback out of Cal, is he wasn't even on the active roster all year. He played in some preseason games, but he wasn't on the active roster during the regular season until the last week of the year. That must mean he is absolute garbage. He, he must be just god-awful if he can't even make the active roster. He obviously can't play, which is why they're going to have to roll with Eli Manning for right now. So right now I think it's obvious that Eli's going to return next year, but I don't think the Giants should keep Eli any longer, any longer than at least next season. Eli's past his prime, and, and his prime wasn't great, to be honest with you. He was at most a B quarterback, B minus B quarterback. And people will say, oh, but Will, Eli has two Super Bowls versus the Patriots. He's the only one who's beat Tommy Brady in the Super Bowl. Yeah, two rings. He has two rings all because of an all-time great defense with Michael Strahan and O.C. Umanura and guys like that. And he has two lucky catches by the name of Mario Manningham and David Tyree. Eli didn't beat Brady and the Patriots. His defense did with a little bit of help and some lucky catches. Sure, Eli obviously is, is an okay quarterback. He's a, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He'll be a borderline Hall of Famer when he hangs it up. And that's only because with the two rings he has. That's the only reason he'll become a Hall of Famer if he is put on the ballot. He won't be first ballot Hall of Famer, but he'll probably be second or third just because he has two championships versus the Patriots. Statistically, Eli has been okay at best. He's had multiple seasons of over 20 picks in a season. 20 interceptions in a season. I believe he had a season with 30. That's almost two a game. And that was in the middle of his career. That wasn't even in the beginning. Tony Romo is a better quarterback than Eli Manning. The numbers say so. 
Now, Romo never quite had the playoff success that Manning had, but he never had a he never consistently had a great team. Romo, for the first 10 years of his career, was running around with no offensive line, running for his life, only had T.O. and Jason Witten to throw to, and no running game. He only had one top 10 rushing attack in his first 10 years in the league. That's why Tony Romo was so beat up at the end of his career is because he was running for his life the first 10 years. Romo never had a consistently good team, and when he got one, he was too banged up to do anything with it. The Giants should move on from Eli after at least this year. I would move on from him now and draft a guy with the number two pick. But if you're not going to take a quarterback with the number two pick, then... I guess you better stay with Eli because you're not going to really find anyone better. The Giants should move on from him, and I would take Sam Darnold at the number two pick if he's available, if the Browns don't take him. I like him better than, than Josh Rosen. I like, I like Baker Mayfield, too, more than Josh Rosen. I would take either Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield. I would go my quarterback rankings right now. I have Sam Darnold. Number one, if he indeed comes out. And we're going to have more on that later in the show. And then I have Baker Mayfield at two. Then I have Lamar Jackson. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh Rosen at three. Lamar Jackson at four. And then Josh Allen out of Wyoming at five. And I don't know a lot about this Josh Allen kid. Everyone's saying he's really good. He's projected first round, late first round. I'm not really sold on him. I haven't seen a lot from him. And the bits I did see, he was trash to me. But he is from Wyoming. That's kind of close to to North Dakota where Carson Wentz is from. So maybe he might translate like Carson Wentz did. But those are my quarterback rankings. And I think the Giants this year, if Darnold comes out, should take Darnold if, he, if he's available. And then if not, go with Baker Mayfield. That's what I would do. The Giants should either take Darnold or Mayfield with the number two pick and, and start over with a new quarterback and move on from Eli. The, the Giants are just a have a bad they're a bad team right now. Their defense is not great. They have some pieces on defense, but in general they're not great. Their offensive line is largely trash. They have no running game. And they have a superstar talent on the outside with Odell Beckham. And Sterling Shepard looks extremely good. This year, I think, was his coming out party with the mess that was going on in New York. They need to start over, get a new quarterback, and develop that quarterback into being the next star of New York. But this perfectly segues over to Sam Darnold now. And Matt Leiner, the former USC quarterback, was questioned by TMZ Sports on Monday on, uh, on if landing with the Browns would be the best thing for Sam Darnold's NFL career. And Leiner said that he told Darnold, quote, I don't know if you want to go to the Browns. Right now, Darnold is ranked the number two quarterback prospect behind Josh Rosen. I have him flip-flop, but that's what most mock drafts have is Darnold at number two. But if Matt Leinard is telling Darnold not to risk being taken by the Browns, then I think Darnold might be inclined to stay at USC. I bet USC is where Darnold is going to play next season. And I don't think he'll want to chance, take the chance of going to the Browns. I think Matt Leiner just broke the story, basically. I think he might have gave away that Sam Darnold is going to stay at USC. And I was watching the herd earlier today. And on air, Colin Cowherd got reports that Sam Darnold was leaning towards staying at USC. It was 55-45, him staying at USC. So, 
we're potentially one great quarterback short in the draft. Someone's going to be waiting a little longer for a quarterback. But that opens the door for guys like Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson to, to get drafted higher. Baker Mayfield will probably be a top five pick if Sam Darnold doesn't come out. And from what I'm hearing, the Browns really like Baker Mayfield. Right now, I think this is what the Browns should do with the first and fourth pick in the draft. They have the first and fourth. No one's going to take... I don't think the Giants are going to take Baker Mayfield. The Colts will probably take Saquon Barkley, the running back from Penn State. And the Browns desperately need a running back. So what I think they should do is take Saquon at one and then draft Baker at four because Josh Allen is going to be presumably drafted by the Giants. So I think that's what the Browns should do in that situation. And if that's what the Browns do, then Sam Darnold has missed out on on an opportunity to play in the NFL for a year. And him staying could be a bad idea because Matt Barkley, a few years ago, he played for USC and he was projected a number one pick in the draft, top quarterback. He decided to stay for one more season, his senior year, and he was hot garbage. Ended up being drafted in like the fourth round. A lot can change in the space of a year. I hope Sam Darnold makes the right choice. I see him as a as a superstar in the NFL when he eventually comes out. So I don't think it'll be much of a problem. But if he wants to avoid the Browns, then heck yeah, I'm staying at college for another year. All right, we're going to stay in the NFL. We're going to move over now to the NFL head coaching carousel. There are a ton of head coach uh, job openings. A lot of people were fired or left in the NFL. So there's a lot of spots open. Chuck Pagano was fired from the Indianapolis Colts. New York hasn't had a coach since like close to the end of the year when Ben McAdoo was fired. Bruce Arians retired from the Arizona Cardinals. By the way, their quarterback, Carson Palmer, also just retired. Uh, we're going to do a segment next week on Carson Palmer. Uh, but he retired. He was a great quarterback for 15 years. And Larry Fitzgerald might retire. Larry Fitzgerald said that depending on who the next coach of the Arizona Cardinals is, that's going to impact his future with the team and with the NFL. But move, uh, moving forward, John Fox was fired in Chicago. Jack Del Rio was fired in Oakland, and that was a surprise to me because he had, had he finished 12-4 and four last year, and they looked like the team that could potentially dethrone the Patriots. And this year they had a lot of bad luck with some injuries. Uh, Amari Cooper missed like half the year. Derek Carr was hurt for a little bit. So I'm kind of surprised about that. And then Jim Caldwell was fired in Detroit after having little to no success there. Right now, I'm going to rank the top jobs in the NFL, uh, in my opinion. We're going to do the top six jobs. Right now, I think the Oakland Raiders is the best job out there. They have a ton of pieces already set in stone, ready to go. They have Derek Carr, a franchise star quarterback. They have tremendous weapons on the outside with Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. Jared Cook is a solid tight end. Marshawn Lynch is back. They have a great O-line. Their defense is a little weak, but they have Khalil Mack. They've got some good people in the secondary. Right now, that's the best the best uh, situation right now for a new coach to head into. Right now I've got the Indianapolis Colts at number two. They've got another superstar quarterback in Andrew Luck already set in place. They have a very high draft pick with the number three pick. They've got a lot of great pieces on defense. If they draft like a guy like Saquon Barkley with the number three pick, a coach going into that situation, inheriting Andrew Luck and the draft picks and the money they have, 
that it, that could the Colts could be a a very quick turnaround team here in the next year. Number three, I've got the Chicago Bears. They've got a, a very young quarterback, a Mitch Trubisky, who is developing uh, very well. Uh, they have a great offensive line. That's probably one of the top O-lines in the league, top five. Jordan Howard is one of the top running backs in the league. They have some tremendous de uh, defensive pieces. And I like the Chicago Bears. They're trending in the right direction. Number four, I have the Detroit Lions. They have got a franchise guy in Matt Stafford. He's, he's a tremendous talent, and it's a shame that he hasn't had any playoff success to this point. Uh, but they've got a great pass rusher and Ziggy Ansah on the edge. They've got some other good defensive pieces. Their receivers, they have Golden Tate and Marvin Jones. So they're, they're good on the outside. They could maybe add another piece that can kind of stretch the, the field a little bit. And then they need to find a running game. Whoever coaches this team right now would be it would they would need to get a running back. Because Matt Stafford hasn't really had a consistent running game for his whole career. Number five. I I have the New York Giants at number five. Uh, they have an aging quarterback in Eli Manning, but if you can draft a guy like Darnold or Mayfield or Rosen. You're going to be set for your future. He can maybe sit behind Eli for a year to learn the offense and things like that. You have Odell Beckham Jr. on the outside, a tremendous weapon. You got some defensive pieces that will groom themselves into better players. Right now, New York is kind of a mess right now, but with the right coach, I think they can get turned back into the right direction. And then number six right now, I have the Arizona Cardinals and Right now, it's not looking too hot for them because they've got a mid-round pick. Uh, they, there's no Carson Palmer, so they're going to need to draft a quarterback. And I like Baker in this spot if he's still on the board. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, someone like that. David Johnson is easily a top three running back in the NFL right now. He is tremendous running the ball and catching the ball. His his uh, total scrimmage yards are incredible. They might be losing Larry Fitzgerald, but the right coach can make him stay. And they've got some good pieces on defense. Patrick Peterson, Hassan Reddick, Tyron Matthew. They've got some good pieces on defense. So it's not a total dumpster fire, but it's not a great situation to be heading into. For Oakland, uh, all reports are pointing to John Gruden. John, John Gruden is currently one of the commentators for Monday Night Football, and reports are that he he's set to re return and be their next head coach. From what I'm hearing, is ba it's basically a done deal, and he's even said that it's likely he's going to return as their head coach. And th that's the only candidate I'm hearing for that job. I think they fired Jack Del Rio knowing that they were going to get John Gruden back. And for the record, I don't think John Gruden is that great of a coach. When he won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Bucks back in the early 2000s, he inherited a great team from Tony Dungy. Like, Tony Dungy was fired because he couldn't get the team over the hump. And then the first year, Gruden comes in and they win the Super Bowl. His record is is okay at best. It's around 500, his total record. And I'm pretty sure he only made the playoffs twice after that Super Bowl victory. So I don't think he, he I think he's kind of overrated as a coach, but he's still a good coach. Uh, I still like Jack Del Rio, though. He's going to find a job somewhere else. Uh, for jo Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator from New England. He's set to talk with the New York Giants, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Chicago Bears. And I think, personally, that Indianapolis and Chicago would be tremendous fits. 
Uh, Josh McDaniels is a terrific offensive mind, and he will be able to work with a guy like Andrew Luck and Mitch Trubisky and Jordan Howard and that offensive line. And, you know, there's T.Y. Hilton over in Indy. He's a very creative play caller, and I think he deserves another shot in the league. It didn't go well with him in Denver the first go-around, but I think he's learned from his mistakes. And he has benefited from having Tom Brady as his quarterback, being an OC. So I think his talent might be a little overvalued because he's got Tom Brady. But I still think he deserves another shot, and I think he would be a successful head coach this time around if he went to Chicago or Indianapolis. New England's defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, is also set to talk to uh, Indianapolis and the Detroit Lions. I'm hearing that he is the leading candidate for the Detroit Lions. He's, he's going to be their likely coach next season. Uh, he's a terrific young mind. He specializes, obviously, in defense. And there's reports out there that he was smart enough. He's, he, this guy is smart enough to be a GM for a team. So obviously he knows how to put a team together. And Matt Patricia could be a guy that could help strengthen Detroit's defense and could get a guy like Matt Stafford over the hump and get some playoff success. The Chiefs offensive coordinator Matt Nagy uh, is a terrific offensive young mind. He Honestly, he could be the next Sean McVay. This guy is that good. He has done a terrific job this year with Kareem Hunt. Andy Reid has handed all of the play calling over to Matt Nagy. And I think the best fit for a guy like him would be in Chicago. I think he could really help a, a guy like Mitch Trubisky mold into a, a very good franchise quarterback and could help elevate guys like Jordan Howard and that, that O-line to another level. They need to draft some receivers, Chicago does. I think they would really benefit from drafting a guy like Cortland Sutton out of SMU or Calvin Ridley out of Alabama. I like Calvin Ridley the best, and he's a guy with some speed that can really work in the middle of the field and really open things up uh, in the offense for Mitch Trubisky. The Panthers' defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, is a name that's also swirling around. Uh He's a great young defensive mind. Also, he's kind of similar to Matt, or Matt Patricia. He's a, he's a really smart guy. He understands defensive personnel. That's another name that's been thrown out there. I don't know what teams he has been talking to, but I just know that he is a name that's come up with multiple teams. So pro he's probably talked to all of these teams that I've mentioned. Uh, Jim Schwartz has received consideration. He's the defensive coordinator in Philly. Uh, but he had very little success in Detroit. I don't see him getting another job. Uh, I don't think he was that great of a head coach. I think he's better as a defensive coordinator and coming up with defensive schemes. I don't think he should be managing a whole football team. And Pat Shermer is a guy that's a really interesting guy that you could bring in to coach. Uh, he coached one season in, with Cleveland, and he was fired after one season, which that's no surprise because Cleveland seems to fire every coach after one year. I'm kind of surprised they kept Hugh Jackson around for another year. But I like Hugh Jackson. It's not all on Hugh Jackson. I'm just surprised the Browns didn't do it because that's what they tend to do. But he has got great offensive coordinator experience, and he has done a terrific job with Minnesota's offense this year and what he's done with Case Keenum. He's went through like three quarterbacks in the space of two year, or three years. He had Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater went down. He had to deal with Sam Bradford and his injuries, and he's made Case Keenum look like a, a very, very good quarterback. Pat Shermer, I think – more than deserves another go around to head coach because he only got one try at it with the Cleveland Browns. It's just, this is not fair. And right now, like I said, Matt Patricia and Josh McDaniels, both the coordinators for New England are, are up for head coaching jobs. They could both leave their 
OC and DC jobs in New England and become coaches. And they will because they're pretty good candidates to be coaches. They deserve to be coaches in the NFL. But it's all pointing to, to what I've been saying the last week or two. Belichick traded the future of New England and Garoppolo and Brissett for basically nothing. Traded it all away the next 10 to 12 years of the team. He's recommending Patricia and McDaniels to these teams. He is giving them good word. He's putting a good word in for these guys. Almost guaranteeing that they will have jobs. Because they will have jobs. They will. Patricia and McDaniels will be gone after this year. The Patriots will probably win a Super Bowl. And Belichick is probably, he could retire a few years early. He might retire after this year. And if all of this happens, the Patriots will be left with no offensive coordinator, no defensive coordinator, no head coach, and a 41-year-old Tom Brady at quarterback next year. If my theory is right, and the, the theory I heard from Colin Coward on the herd is right, the Patriots in a very short time could become the Browns if they don't find that next quarterback, a head coach, or, or any offensive or defensive coordinators. Bill Belichick is really screwing with Robert Kraft right now. Rob Kraft put his foot down and said, you're not trading Brady. Belichick said, fine. We'll keep Brady. We'll keep a broken down 41-year-old who is eventually going to go on a steep decline. I'll trade away our future. See how that works? 10 to 12 years of the franchise, gone. Belichick knew that Garoppolo was going to do what he was going to do in San Francisco. He knew. He knew he was the next star of the league. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the NFC next year. And Belichick knew all of this. And he traded it away. Because Kraft would not let him trade a 41-year-old quarterback who is bound to decline. I'm telling you, if the Patriots, the Patriots are going to be bad if this theory comes into fruition. Robert Kraft is going to be left with a 41-year-old quarterback, no head coach, and no coordinators. Belichick said, fine, you're not going to pick, you're going to pick the quarterback over the system. Over me, over the guy that created Tom Brady. Fine, I'll leave. I think that's what's going to happen. I really, really do. All right, we've got the Ford food chain. It is back. The Ford food chain, the top, top 10 teams in the NFL. After week 17, heading into the playoffs. So these are all playoff teams now. 12 teams in the playoffs. I'm doing the top 10. Let's jump right into it. Number 10, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have a tremendous defense, as I've said multiple times. A.J. Boye, Jalen Ramsey, and Barry Church, and Miles Jack at linebacker, and their, their defensive line, Calais Campbell. It's incredible. Their defense is great. They've got a... Uh, an efficient running game with Leonard Fournette and a decent O-line. Blake Bortles looks fine right now. But my only concern with this team is they have not rushed for 125 yards. Uh, they've only rushed for 125 yards in two of the last six games. And they're going to need a running game to beat a team like New England in the playoffs. Number nine, the Philadelphia Eagles. I would have had them a lot higher than this if they had Carson Wentz. If they have Carson Wentz, I'm probably putting them at number one, in all honesty. 
But Nick Foles just doesn't look like he can carry this team to a Super Bowl. I, I don't think he can do it. He has struggled mightily the last couple weeks. Granted, he only played a couple series against Dallas, but he just looked terrible. He looked terrible against Oakland. Played great against New York, but New York has a terrible, terrible defense. They have a tremendous front seven. Their defense is going to have to really be the focal point for this team. They're going to have to step it up even more than they have this season to even make it out of the, their first round, the second round of the playoffs, the divisional round. I don't think Nick Foles can do it. Number eight, the Atlanta Falcons. I've not been on the Atlanta train this year. Matt Ryan had a tremendous year last year, MVP season. But this year he has been very bad. He's only completing like 55% of his throws. He hasn't been great. And he's got all these weapons with Julio and Muhammad Sanu and Taylor Gabriel and Austin Hooper. And he's got a tremendous running game with Freeman and Coleman. Their defense is kind of on and off. You never know what kind of defense you're going to get from Atlanta. But they have playoff experience, and that is key in the playoffs when you have experience. And they have it, and they have Super Bowl experience too, so they know how to get there. So right now I have them at eight. Number seven, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs, this is a sneaky number seven right here. Kansas City kind of fell off middle of the year. They lost like six out of their uh, – Six out of seven games, middle of the year. But now they've really picked it up. Since Andy Reid has given the play calling to Matt Nagy, their offensive coordinator, their season has really turned around. They've won their division. Kareem Hunt is back on track. Alex Smith is looking a lot better. Offense is looking good. Their defense is looking all right. They could be a very sneaky team in the playoffs. They never have much playoff success. They're like the Houston Rockets. With like James Harden and Chris Paul, like that comparison I made last week. But you never know. This is kind of a sneaky team this year. I can see them doing a little bit of damage. Number six, I have the Carolina Panthers. And the Carolina, I think, is honestly underrated. They haven't been asking Cam Newton to do a lot this year. He's been wildly inconsistent. But Cam is still Cam. He's a tremendous athlete. And when he's on, he's on. But there's a lot of times he's off. So it's yet to be seen what he can do. He's carried a team to a Super Bowl before. And he got beat up by Denver. And there, I can't put anything on Cam for losing to Denver because that's an all-time great defense right there. Number five, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh right now is the second-best team in the AFC. They have got a ton of talent. They have more talent than New England. But New England's system is just better. But anyways, Antonio Brown's going to be coming back for the playoffs. You have Big Ben and Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown. Ryan Shazier is out. That is the big, big thing here with this team. That's why I don't think they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. If they had Ryan Shazier in the middle of that defense, this team would definitely be in the top four. And I think would very much have a shot to knock off the Patriots in their likely AFC championship rematch. So I have them at five. The top four teams are the clear Super Bowl favorites. I've got three NFC teams in the top four, and you can take a guess at who's, who the AFC team is. Uh, number four, I have the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees has taken a step back this year. They're not asking him to do as much. They only ask him to throw when it's needed on the third down play, second and long, third down. Uh, they're a run-first team now with Kamara and Mark Ingram. Their defense is a young defense, but it's very good. I like this team. They have a tremendous shot to make it out of the NFC to the Super Bowl. The NFC is really a very competitive uh, playoff field this year. I have them at four. Number three, the Los Angeles Rams. Right now, Todd Gurley, he's in conversation for MVP of the league right now behind Tom Brady. Todd Gurley has been tremendous this year passing the, or in pass catching and in running the football. 
and Jared Goff has looked sensational, but really all of this is a testament to head coach Sean McVay. Without without Sean McVay, last year Jared Goff wasn't that good. Granted, he didn't play that many games, but he wasn't that great when he played, and Todd Gurley was largely horrible. So this all has to do with Sean McVay. And right now the Rams, they're better than the Saints right now, but I feel like I feel I think Jared Goff is just a year away. I don't know if they're going to make it out of the NFC. They can do some real damage, but right now they just feel like they're a year away. I think Jared Goff just needs an, a little bit of experience because right now this team has none. They haven't been in the playoffs since 05. So they have no experience. Jared Goff is a second-year quarterback. They can do some damage, but I think they're a year away from a Super Bowl run. Number two, the Minnesota Vikings. This defense is the second-best defense in the league. It is very complete. Their rushing attack is very efficient with Latavius and Jarek McKinnon. Latavius is more of their runner, and Jarek is more of their, their pass catcher. Case Keenum has proven himself to be a clear-cut starter in this league for a team. And right now, I love their chances to make it out of the NFC. With that defense, that running attack, and Case Keenum slinging it to to Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and Kyle Rudolph, right now the only threat I see to them is New Orleans. Minnesota is a tremendous team, and if Case Keenum goes out there and wins the Super Bowl, he's going to be a very highly paid quarterback next year because this is his contract year. He's going to be highly sought after. Number one, clearly no surprise here, the New England Patriots. Their system is second to none. My only concern with this team is their defense because their defense right now is ranked 31st in the league in efficiency per possession. Teams on average get three first downs against them per possession. That puts teams in their territory in a position to get into scoring range. So they're they're one of the higher scoring defenses in the league. But in terms of efficiency, I don't like the way their defense is playing. They're they're pretty decent situationally in the red zone, but I don't know if they're going to be able to hold strong for this for a playoff run. Tom Brady is Tom Brady. He's going to do what he does. He's got Brandon Cooks and Amendola and Gronk, who is just a flat-out beast. I like their chances a lot to make it out of the AFC. I, I see them as the likely favorites to make it out of the AFC and win the Super Bowl. All right, that was the Ford food chain. Right now, I'm going to move on to some predictions. We're going to do some predictions for the NFL playoffs. Uh, I like Jacksonville beating Buffalo. LaShawn McCoy is slated to not – it looks like he's not going to play. And because of that, I think Jacksonville will squeak it out. Uh, and I like Jacksonville taking on New England and – I'm sorry, not New England. They would take on the Steelers. They whipped them before, and they can certainly do it again. But I think playoff experience will be key. I think the Patriots will get revenge, or the Steelers will get revenge. Steelers will move on to the AFC Championship. They'll handle their business. Patriots will, of course, handle their business. I, I like the, a, a Patriots-Steelers rematch in the AFC Championship. Everyone's going to be healthy, hopefully, and I think it's going to be a great game. And once again, it's a revenge game, but once again, the system is just way better in New England than it is in, in Pittsburgh. This might be Big Ben's last go-around. I like the Patriots to make it to the Super Bowl and likely win it. And then in the NFC, I like the Rams beating the Falcons. I like. I don't like uh, Philadelphia at all. I like New Orleans beating the Carolina Panthers. And then I like New Orleans beating Philadelphia to get to the NFC Championship. I like Minnesota over the 
LA Rams. And then Minnesota versus New Orleans. God, that's a coin flip game to me. New Orleans clearly has the better quarterback. But Minnesota clearly has the better defense. And the running games are virtually even. If I had to flip a coin and pick a team, I don't have a coin on me, but I'm going to pick a team. I'm going to pick the Minnesota Vikings to make it out of the NFC. I like the Vikings to make it out. I like the Patriots to make it out. I think we're going to get a Vikings versus Patriots Super Bowl. And I like the Patriots to win that Super Bowl just based on the fact that it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and Gronk. And, and right now, I think after this year, Patriots dynasty might be coming to an end. But I like... The Patriots over the Vikings. I think the Patriots are going to be your 2017-2018 Super Bowl champions. All right, that's my show. I've got a new Twitter account out, so be sure to follow that. I will post the links to the episode on Twitter so you guys can check it out from there instead of searching. Be sure to give me a like, subscribe, follow. I am now on iTunes. I just submitted my podcast to iTunes and got approved. I am now on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm on Twitter now. Give all of that a like, subscribe, follow. That's the show, everyone. Happy New Year. This has been The Will Ford Show. <laughs>